You're listening to Lozano Smith's podcast, where we discuss important changes in the law and legal decisions that affect public agencies. Welcome to the Lozano Smith podcast. I'm your co-host, Joshua Whiteside, and senior counsel from the firm San Luis Obispo office, also co-practice group leader for the student practice group. Today, we're going to talk about uh, a subject that I sometimes deal with uh, as a jack-of-all-trades type of an attorney, Um, but I I wanted to hear from the experts, and I'm hoping that uh, you'll be excited to hear uh, from them, too. So with me today, we've got Dan McElhaney and Kara Walton. So, Dan, I want you to introduce yourself. Hello, uh, this is Dan McElhaney from the firm's San Luis Obispo office. I'm a partner here at Lozano Smith. I've been with the firm for uh, just a little over three years, and I practice labor and employment, personnel, as well as uh, board governance, as well as dabble in a few other areas. And Kara. Yeah, my name's Kara Walton, and I am a partner here in the San Diego office. I've been with the firm for a little over a year and have practiced education law for almost 10 years now. And um, prior to that, I was an educator, uh, K through 12, middle school teacher for 10 years. So that's a little interesting fact. And um, primarily I do HR, employee discipline, uh, negotiations, personnel issues, governance, and lots of investigations. <laughs> and, and Kara, uh, you know, just over a year and already newly promoted. Uh, yeah. So congratulations on, on that. Uh, we've definitely got some rock stars here with us today. So I'm excited to talk about this topic, which is about bargaining, uh, coming to the table with our labor partners uh, and talking about kind of the building blocks for negotiations. And I know that there are a lot of uh, administrators that bounce around or start climbing up that that career ladder. Um, and some of our folks may not actually have been to the table before or know what to expect with negotiations. So uh, this topic is designed for, for you all uh, in that sort of uh, frame of mind and also for maybe board members that are interested in how you know the people prepare for negotiations as well as maybe this is a good review for those of you who have been to the table before and want to kind of hear a best practice approach to negotiations. So when looking at negotiations, what are sort of the things that, that folks do to prepare? Or what, how do they plan to talk about negotiations? Or do they have a team of folks? Uh, why don't we start from the beginning? Dan. Thanks, Josh. So as, first, it's a really timely topic because a lot of teams, a lot of school districts are preparing for bargaining with their unions right now. Um, and many school districts have two unions with their certificated bargaining unit as well as their classified bargaining unit, but some districts have uh, bargaining units related to their administrators or other groups of employees. Um, you know, some may even have like a police union or something like that. Um, and then some districts have multiple classified bargaining units. So it's important to have an understanding, I think, first and foremost, hey, what union are we working with here? But going back, um, taking sort of a, a step back in time, I guess, the the reason that we bargain is um, due to the Educational Employment Relations Act or the ERA, sometimes referred to as the RADA Act. This is a law that was passed back in the, in the 70s that set up collective bargaining rights for school employees. And so a lot of our collective bargaining agreements are the contracts that govern our relationship with our unions as employers 
um, you know, were written back at that time. So they're sort of, they're these, these historical, um, I don't want to be condescending, but maybe a Frankenstein in some case, like Frankenstein's monster of a contract that has evolved over the last 40 years. So it's, it's uh, important to start there. And I think that's to start with the agreement and work with your administrative team to figure out where is our agreement working and where is our agreement not working. And when we say, is it working or not, we're asking, is it serving our educational program the way we need it to? For example, is there language in the contract that's creating unnecessary barriers to accomplishing our goals? A common example that I've seen lately is, does the contract really restrict how many, say, after school events your teachers um, are required to attend? Um, if it does restrict that and you're having a hard time getting enough people at, say, open house or back to school night or even graduation, maybe we want to look at opening negotiations on that topic to see if we can increase the amount of participation we have from our teachers there. So at the end of the day, the goal is really to ensure that we maintain a positive working relationship with our unions and at the same time uh, accomplish our program objectives. Kara, I want to go to a more practical uh, understanding of the, the framework for how this is, is done. Dan mentioned that there could be two up to three unions, and he mentioned you know the law that kind of you know go, set this in movement, and now we have this Frankenstein type contract that we have to deal with. Uh, for a new administrator, what does that look like for them joining the negotiation team? Um, is it are they joining a bunch of administrators? And do they get time to prepare before they step to the table? What does that typically look like? Yeah, so, um, you know, this is really a, a good time of year for this because we do, as Dan was saying, have a lot of new administrators that have promoted up into HR, up to the district office. But I also have a lot of people who have changed districts. So there's just been a lot of movement. So, you know, you're new to this position or you're new to your district and identifying who the bargaining team is, is, is a good start. You, you, you would likely have had one that existed the prior year. You can mix it up. Um, it depends on, are you negotiating with classified? Are you negotiating with certificated on who you want to build your team uh, to, to sit at the table with? Um, and sometimes, you know, that team can change depending on what you as a school district are working towards to kind of, you know, do you need someone from the special education department to kind of give you insight if you're going to work with your your teachers union on things that have to do with SPED? So it, it really, um, the team and figuring out who they are is, is a good stepping stone into uh, starting to attack, okay, what's our collective bargaining agreement say and what's our plan for this year? Um, the other thing that I was thinking about as Dan was talking is, identifying those pieces. So I'm actually in the middle of this with some districts and it's it's an interesting to start surveying. You know, you survey your administrators, survey, hey, what are things that came up last year? Is there a grievance book? Are there things that we've had grieved multiple times? Um, talk to your, your counsel. You know, I'll, I'll give ourselves a little plug here, but sometimes there's new law that, that you know, I read some of these contracts. I mean, this is unlawful. How long has this been in here? Um, so we just definitely want to have a team um, approach to preparation so that, you know, what's our mission and goals at the district this year? 
um, if we're talking about a teacher's contract for teachers, staff, um, and then who are the administrators who will be appropriate on our team to help us reach those goals to like give pos- like the right input as to what we're trying to accomplish for the year. All so, right, I'm going to throw some rapid fire questions at you. So must the superintendent be part of the negotiations team? So I don't have superintendents who always sit at the table, but they might come in as part of caucus. Um, and, and that's something you're allowed to do. I mean, you can, you don't have to have an attorney at the table, but you can call your counsel during caucus to be like, Hey, is this right? Like this is what we're thinking. Um, superintendents sometimes don't have the time to be there every single, uh, throughout the whole day through negotiations, but informing them and having them in the loop is kind of the best practice I've seen and, and going into, into the negotiations that day with their input and knowing that they're kind of, yeah, that's what we want to do. And then reaching out to them during caucus when appropriate. All right. Board members, board president, do they, are they on the negotiating team? Go ahead, Dan. I'll give you that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question that comes up a lot as you may have board members that are really interested in what's going on at the bargaining table and rightly so. Um, so there are, there are sometimes examples where a board member may be sitting at the table. It's unusual. Uh, it's not a best practice, certainly. We would really want to encourage boards to direct their staff on how to implement their, their direction at the table rather than having board members at the table. Um, and the reason for that is one board member doesn't have any real authority or a role as an employee, right? The board, as we know, the board has to act as a whole. Uh, that's how they have their power. And so one board member at the table can can undermine your, your collective bargaining process because it can put that board member in a position where they have knowledge that the other board members don't have. And that's not necessarily conducive to good decision making. The other thing I was going to say is, um, you know, there is closed session uh, time to discuss with your board members about negotiations. And I find that because I have had board members ask to sit at the table, this is not an uncommon request, but I find that when they feel like they're not completely in the loop or they don't understand what's happening or they're, you know, they're going to hear from their constituents, they're going to hear from the teachers union. So it's really important that the bargaining team that's been identified as a negotiator has an opportunity to you know, communicate clearly, give lots of updates, get feedback from the board during those closed sessions that are confidential communications so that they feel like they're being heard and they're part of the process, but also so they have responses to the the unions and to the constituents that are reaching out to them. One thing that I wanted to make sure we talk about is how do you identify who your lead negotiator is going to be? Because it's really critical that your bargaining team be led by one person at the table in the room when you're sitting with the union representatives. So sometimes that could be legal counsel who comes in and as the lead negotiator, other times it can be, you know, assistant superintendent of HR. Um, I have seen it be assistant superintendent of business services or even the superintendent. So it can be a variety of people, but really you want to have someone that can confidently present, uh, your proposals, who can maintain a professional demeanor and work cooperatively through the communication process. Now, that's not always the case. Sometimes you have a difficult negotiation and you need a pet bull at the table. Um, that may be the case in other circumstances. So, but it is um, important that we have that person lead the team and then identify the roles um, of the other team members as well. That's great. I, I, it's a really good point. 
What are the common areas that we typically see be the subject of negotiations? And maybe we should frame this conversation around the idea of what is an open contract versus a closed contract. So basically, in a nutshell, if you may have an open contract and it depends on your contract and it'll say um, that you could open the entire contract and or there may be times when you have just you can um, sunshine or negotiate the district it has an opportunity to bring forth we want to negotiate these four topics these four provisions and the union gets the same opportunity and so it's not an entire contract it's just a handful um but go ahead dan you might have more to add to that yeah so if you have um contract that's open you know we call that often successor negotiations where you have a contract that's expiring or maybe even expired and there can be you know 10 or more articles open, sometimes the whole contract is getting looked at. You know, recently I had um, a, a district that part of the negotiations during successor negotiations was to go through every single article and make sure that that there weren't typos and there weren't formatting issues and that all of the pronouns and that sort of thing um, were consistent. All of the references to employees, instead of saying employees, as we wanted to say bargaining unit members, right, to make sure that all of those types of references throughout the entire 100 plus page document were consistent. And then you also have reopener negotiations. So you maybe you have a three year term to a contract and you've agreed with the union to that each side gets to open two articles and that you're mutually going to open uh, compensation and fringe benefits. So common areas that we would be negotiating. So I mentioned compensation. That's that's always going to be your your first and foremost issue that everyone on both sides of the table has an interest in um, the compensation topic. Oftentimes for the district, it's about ensuring that we have competitive wages, that we're maintaining financial stability, that we're fiscally sound. Uh, obviously for unions, it's about receiving competitive wages, receiving competitive benefits and those sort of things. And we all often have discussions at that point about you know cost of, basic cost of living issues uh, lately, a big part of the conversation has been about inflation, right? We all are thinking about inflation and the fact that the price of a gallon of milk has gone up. And so how do we as employers think about those questions when we're working with our employees? And that may mean one year you emphasize salary increases over benefits increases. And, and we take take time at the table to prioritize those choices. Okay, so it sounds like if, if the contract is closed, there are still reopener negotiations that can happen during the life of that contract. Um, so it, it, it sounds like negotiations is not once every three years sort of ordeal. It's an ongoing process, it seems like. In my experience, it typically is an ongoing process. You can completely close a contract by mutual agreement for multiple years. It's, it's more unusual in my experience. And then there are also, um, you know, negotiations that happen outside of the contract. Uh, maybe the district is looking at implementing a new program. Uh, for example, lately I've seen a lot of conversations around adding intervention programs where we might have intervention specialist type teachers that either push in or pull out of kids out of classrooms or even adding an intervention period during the day where those sort of program changes would be something that we would have to negotiate the impacts of that type of change with, with the bargaining unit. And some of those impacts 
may actually be you know, terms and conditions of employment that are within the scope of representation. That's something we have to negotiate versus decisions that are, are not necessarily negotiable where we would then have to impact the effects or impacts of those um, changes. So I think of intervention as, um, as a good example because that can impact, um, it can impact some things that are within the scope of representation and it can impact some things that, that are not necessarily within the scope of representation. A, a important kind of example there is the length of the workday, right? So if we can accomplish um, intervention within the contractual workday, maybe that decision is not negotiable. But if we need to add 15 minutes to the workday, then I would say that, that that decision is going to be negotiable because it affects that term and condition of employment. That is the length of the workday. And maybe this is a good point, Karen, to talk about uh, the, the sort of the role and purpose that each of these entities has when they come to the table because what district administration, who they are there for to advocate on behalf of when they're entering into these negotiations, very different, right, than who the union is standing for. Can you explain that difference? <laughs> yeah, so the district has the responsibility to come to the table and be advocating, obviously, for students. And and I will actually preface this by saying a lot of times when I feel like I'm having good negotiation conversations and it's is when, because I do think the union, we can also get them there sometimes that we are, we do have that commonality of wanting what's best for students. I mean, we really do. And if we can focus on that, sometimes we have a better outcome. It's a quicker outcome. Um, but the district also has a, the responsibility to advocate for solvency, to make sure that their budget is appropriate, that they are negotiating to, to make sure that the district is in compliance with laws and that we're doing all the things that we have to do as a district. The union's coming to the table to advocate for their employees. I mean, they have a, a base of, of union bargaining units who are... Um, you know, they they want salary increases and, and they have a right to advocate and to really protect their employees based on what they believe is um, the law or what they believe is a trend. If they feel that other districts are getting, you know, bigger salaries or have better health benefits, you know, they have this obligation to come and really advocate for, for their bargaining unit. So I think we, we all come to the to the room with a little bit of a different perspective, unless we're talking about kids. And, you know, we kind of have to, everyone's got to give a little. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so at that point, I, I think that, you know, and, and, and I will say that, you know, we want good employees too, as, as a district, you know, our district administration, we want to retain good people. We want to have them have incentives to be with us. So sometimes we can see where they're coming from with the proper, um, information with us doing all our doing our homework. Um, and so I think that unions can often get the district to see why we should advocate for the employees as well, because we want to keep good employees and we don't want them leaving to go to another district. So what are some strategies or things that you have seen districts do that maybe aren't necessarily the entire team coming to the table that kind of help foster goodwill and help foster uh, the good vibes, so to speak, to avoid having a strike be something that is, you know, being thought of when we go into negotiations. I think the number one 
thing that I've seen work is good communication and follow through. So when I see successful labor relations, it really starts at the district leadership level and the union leadership level when they can collaborate and bring a problem solving mindset to their day to day relationship that's based on trust, honesty, and follow through. I think that that's when you see really good outcomes that, that can help kids be successful and make sure that our program is what we want it to be. Kara, how about you? Um, I'll just kind of echo that and the, um, the communication, it is really, um, the relationship building and knowing, you know, I at the different tables I've sat at, I definitely can tell when I'm at a table where I can tell there's good relationships between the admin. Sometimes we'll have principals that are on the team and I can tell they have great relationships with some of the teachers and people engage primarily uh, at goodwill of like, hey, we're, we have a good relationship. So then everyone kind of collaborates a little bit better, but I can tell when I'm at a table and there's just, it's just fractured. And, and, and I honestly, sometimes I'm like, we've got to figure out how to mend those relationships before we're even going to get anywhere. Because even if the district feels like they're communicating well at those tables where there's a lot of fractured relationships, the union feels they're being lied to. They feel the district's hiding things. They go to board meetings and say, well, they're not disclosing all the information. And we think what they're presenting is not true. And there's just so much mistrust that it's almost like the game ended before we started. (laughs) And so I feel like the whole time we're really trying to build relationships before we can get to the contract is, is kind of where I've seen things um, fall apart. Yeah. And I think one, one other, one kind of mechanism to work on that is through um, like a labor management team meeting where you might have uh, regular meetings between union leaders and district leaders that are outside of bargaining uh, that can can help you get have notice of of potential problems that the union is having and try to solve them earlier in the process if they're if they are really problems that that, that are that exist. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one other strategy for folks to think about. Yeah, and I guess you know as a as a member of a law firm, I should also say that we've you know if you're new to this process, um, you know, and you feel like maybe your team. Uh, doesn't have that history or that background <laughs> that uh, you were hoping for when you were, you know, maybe they're also new um, and you're needing help uh, processing through unique issues um, or new issues. Uh, I think important to think about is the role of legal counsel, not just when it comes time to go to mediation and fact finding or not just when it's time for negotiations, but it sounds like th- there could be a role for legal counsel uh, prior to that, throughout this, all this communication, helping you if you if your team is struggling right, with how that communication can take place or how that relationship is developing, um, you know, I think Kara, Dan, you guys are excellent resources and have a lot of information. I would definitely recommend you know you guys or any of our labor and employment attorneys here at Lazana Smith, of which we have quite a plentiful amount. Uh, I think there are a lot of labor and employment issues that are often talked about. Uh, And so I think with the amount of attorneys that we have, I think that demonstrates just how widespread and varied uh, the concerns of each different district are and and, uh, just how important these conversations are to have on a daily basis, not just when it's time to go to the table. Well, with that said, uh, thank you both for your uh, time and insights today. 
I'm going to throw it to you each for just one last final comment about the bargaining process and anything that you think a new administrator should learn or know uh, about this process. We'll go to Karen first. All right. I guess, uh, you know, if you're a new administrator, I think just really um, doing your best before that first day at the table, trying to understand the culture, trying to understand the history, where 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 is the district been? Um, where, what are your goals? But really, every district that I've worked with has its own culture and and um, kind of mix of personalities. And so learning that is very empowerful um, a little before you even get to the table. It's really about humans <laughs> sometimes rather than the technicalities of all the law and written language. So thanks, Karen. Dan. And I think I think Karen for that point, I think it is important to keep in mind at the end of the day, we're all people sitting at a table trying to solve the problem. And so if we if we keep that in mind as we work on these problems, I think we can generate better outcomes. So for me, I think if you're a new administrator and you're coming into your first year of participating in bargaining, look around and see what kind of training and other resources you might have, because I think having an understanding of the different types of bargaining, the different um, options you have for strategies and things like that are, are really important, will help you uh, generate good outcomes. All right, that sounds good. and. Just from my experience, of course, you know, treat people like humans, but just read the contract. You know, maybe just, maybe just, <laughs> yeah, just, you know, skim through it, you know, just give it a good read, you know, get a nice cup of coffee or whatever you do, you know, put your robe on, sit in a nice comfy chair one night uh, and read the damn thing. Um, with that said, uh, <laughs> we'll move on <laughs> to our conclusion. If you'd like additional information on today's topic, please visit our podcast page at lazanasmith.com forward slash podcast. Additionally, please subscribe to our podcast so you uh, can receive the latest and greatest in the world of California public agencies. Until next time, for Kara, for Dan, myself, take care. have any questions about this topic, please contact the hosts of this episode or an attorney at any of our eight offices throughout California. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the information contained in this podcast is necessarily general, its application to a particular set of facts and circumstances may vary. For this reason, this podcast does not constitute legal advice. We recommend that you consult with your counsel prior to acting on the information you heard. Thank you.